This is R.J. Rushdooney, Easy Chair Number 339, May the 23rd, 1995. This evening we have a particularly uh, interesting interview for you, plus some very remarkable people with us. First of all, Paul Biddle. You're all familiar with him because we have written about him. He has written for the report, and you've read about him in the papers, how he took on Stanford University, found that they had been misusing funds for national defense, and is currently in the courts trying to recover that money from the federal government. Then we have John Stoos with us. John himself has a remarkable story, and sometime, John, we'd like to have you come and we'll interview you, because I feel your story needs to be told. John Stoos has been very active in California on a number of fronts, including the political front. Then, of course, Andrew Sandlin and Mark Rushdooney, and myself. This evening we're going to interview someone whose life story, and he's a young man, is quite an unusual and an intensely interesting one. Theron Johnson is with us. Theron has had uh, quite a background. He is current, currently a United Airlines pilot. Before that, he was in the U.S. Air Force, and he was in Arabia, in Saudi Arabia, and took part in the Gulf War. And I think it would be especially interesting, Theron, to hear a little bit about your experiences there in Arabia, how Saudi Arabia treats Americans, and uh, whether anything is ever done about it. Okay. Um, uh, my time in the Gulf War, you have to understand, before that, I was uh, stationed in, in Saudi Arabia, went three week deployments, um, uh, couple, several years before, before Desert Storm or Desert Shield. Uh, the, as you know, the Muslim culture is vastly different than mm -hmm. the United States. Uh, they treat, to, in a nutshell, to make it simple, they treat Americans as if they were their servants. Uh, they don't like, the, the culture is based upon uh, third world countries doing their labor in Saudi Arabia, and they rely on the Europeans and the Americans to do all their technological or uh, technical work for them. Um, we, uh, during the course of the war, uh, weren't treated uh, very well. I'm sure you saw a lot of the uh, news articles and uh, interviews from the American troops. That was just a, uh, a tip of the iceberg when you have a uh, such a clash of cultures uh, with people uh, running into each other in that way. Um, a lot of people, a lot of the soldiers were not very uh, enthusiastic as the as as the war 
progressed as they saw how they, we were being treated by the Saudis. Uh, not very uh, uh, appreciative of our, our presence. I remember seeing when uh, the troops were sent over, there was you know lists of things that you couldn't take and all the restrictions, and, and that sort of struck me as, as odd that a country that, that we were going and sending our boys uh, to defend would, would set up all these restrictions. Uh, do you have any other examples of well, things that happened while you were there? Well, interesting thing when you bring up uh, customs, <laughs> it brings back a lot of memories, bad, bad memories. Uh, before the war, when we, we would go to the country, we had to have special passports. Uh, it would take us hours to get through customs, especially the women, because they would be especially thorough going through their luggage. Um, if they found anything that they liked or wanted, they would say it was it couldn't enter the country, and they would confiscate it. Um, and it was exactly the opposite during the war because they they wanted us in the in the country to defend them. So there, there was no customs that no customs to speak of. So we just we just came into the country, uh, established in our billets, and went about. Uh, fighting the war, so it was so it was 180 degrees. You told me some interesting stories about Saudi justice towards Americans. Perhaps you could repeat one of them or more. The one about the well, I'll tell you the one about wife, the, the uh, car accident. Yes. there was an American who uh, a Saudi ran a red a red light and broadsided an American uh, in their in their car. And uh, there was a car uh, flipped, uh, flipped the car. Uh, the Saudi was wrong. In America, he would have been cited, and you know, the American would have gone about his business. Well, in Saudi Arabia, when the policeman showed up, he wrote, he did write the Saudi a ticket, but he also wrote the American a ticket. And the reason he said that he wrote the American a ticket says that this accident would not have occurred if you had not been in the Kingdom of Saudi Arabia. <laughs> and the American law is in court, yes. no doubt. And yes. there's another case of a, a Saudi, some connection to the royal family is, is the way I understand it. I uh, went to a gas station, you have to understand the five, I can't remember what it's called, their prayer calls during the day. Well, all the shops and stores have to close down when they have the prayer call. Well, the uh, a Saudi went into a gas station and wanted gas right at prayer call. Well, like I, like I said before, all their labor is third world, Pakistani, Filipino. Um, and if they are caught violating these laws, they are punished severely. Well, when a Saudi came in during prayer call and wanted gas, he didn't. Uh, this pack is a, a Pakistani or Sri Lankan. I can't remember uh, exactly, but he wouldn't sell the Saudi gas. Well, they pursued to get into arguments, and the Saudi pulled a gun on the Pakistani, and they began to struggle. And in the course of the struggle, a gun went off and killed a woman in a nearby car. The Saudi was fined. I can't remember the amount, but he was fined and released. The Pakistani was put on trial for murder, 
and the schedule lasted, and this was years ago, but he was scheduled to be executed. And at the time, we were trying to raise money for his defense because he wasn't going to get a defense. And the reason that they put him up for the death penalty was they said that if he had sold the man gas, then that woman would not be dead. So there was, I mean, there's many cases of uh, they caught a, a Saudi who was, was uh, raping and killing Filipino nurses and putting them in dumpsters. They caught him, and they would not take the testimony of uh, Filipino witnesses because they said they were infidels, and they wouldn't take that, that testimony. So that man walked. And I don't know if you remember, this is back when Aquino threatened uh, to bring all the Filipinos home from Saudi Arabia. So that's a, a small taste of Saudi Saudi justice. When you came back, uh, you went into uh, the United Airlines as a pilot. Didn't yes. You? Mm -hmm. And you're still with United. Yes, I still I still fly with United Airlines. You live currently in Sacramento, I believe. Yes. And. Uh, you're a member of the Reformed Church there, I believe. Yes, a new member of the Covenant Reformed Church of Sacramento. Yes. And John, you're a member of that church. Yeah, and we uh, appreciate uh, your work because it was uh, basically through some of the writings of Calcedon that then got interested in the church and started attending. And uh, we've had the pleasure of having you in our home quite regularly. And uh, to watch him grow in the Lord's been a real joy. One of the things that uh, is notable about uh, Theron is that he has a very strong faith, a reformed faith, and he is also intensely interested in politics because he is disgusted with what he sees on all sides. What are you doing about that, Theron? Well, I'm planning on uh, running for Congress uh, from the, in uh, Sacramento, well, from the district in Sacramento in 1996. Um, I've been over the last several years, as John said, your, your writings have influenced me greatly in, in, uh, in making this uh, step. I've also I've uh, been studying the issues so that I, I, I would be prepared to uh, you know, be a credible credible candidate in this, in this run for, uh, for Congress. And as you said, the, the, uh, the situation now in, in politics in this country is disgusting. And, but I look at it, and you've said this before, uh, it's a, it's, we're approaching what you call a crisis. And as a Chinese ideograph says, you know, it's a combination of uh, opportunity and danger, yes. and you know we could go either way depending on whether or not you know, Christians decide to step up and uh, you know and, and, and run and you know run for offices. Uh, I've had people ask me, well, wh why are you, why are you getting involved in politics? You know everybody's slimy and sleazy and you know all these you know, bad things. I said, well, you just answered the question. <laughs> So. Baron, what qualities can you bring to this office that uh, either the incumbent or other candidates cannot? Uh, responsibility, 
ethics initiative, uh, the willingness to see that there's a problem and act and act on that to do something positive to change. Uh, the, the the thing that's going to I mean that that put me over the top as far as you know, wanting wanting to run is definitely my my faith, my Christian faith, because that is the, the foundation of what I'm going to run on is going to be uh, it's it's uh, a Christian response to what we're seeing in politics. I think that's been a a, a weakness in the conservative movement. You know, they'll say, well, we're going to we want to cut taxes, and we want to get rid of welfare, but they have nothing to you know to take its place to respond to it. Whereas I'm going to say we want to get rid of welfare, but we want to get rid of that. We must strengthen the family. The family has to you know, step in and, and and take its its the place you know that that God wants it to take, and not you know look to the state for you know for everything for all you know handouts or yeah. or to take care of them. Uh, that's that's uh, you know that's that's an important part. Paul, you uh, have had more familiarity with the political scene than probably you would like to recall. Do you have any suggestions and comments and <laughs> counsel for a theorist? Well, I, I would only go back to when I ran for Congress, and that is be faithful to your principles. And I would emphasize be in fear of God and live in his ways. Uh, go back, I, when I was running for Congress, I read many of the things that uh, Rush had put together over his good life. And often when I would go before groups to speak to them, uh, they would feel that you wouldn't cleave to where you should be. And if you were questioned, you would sort of move to their side. I, I believe one of the first telling interviews was when uh, they asked me, they said, are you a Christian? And I said, yes. And they said, are you a conservative? And I said, yes. And then they went into the issue of right to life and so on. We had five candidates there, and I was the only one who would characterize himself as a Christian. Now, I'm sure they had gone to church, but they would not put their foot on the step and say what they were. And I think as people realize what we are, we will attract more people than we will cause to go away from us. But I, I think you're really an outstanding fellow to take on this challenge, and it's really a challenge. But uh, keep the faith, so to speak, on, on what you are and what you want to be and what you want to deliver to your people. The constituency up in Sacramento, I, I think they have a good chance of getting a good congressman out of here. <laughs> it's, uh, <clears throat> I, I think it's an interesting time where um, the, the district in Sacramento is one that the po political professionals would say is an impossible district. It's an urban center. It's got all the problems that the liberals are designed to solve. And yet the people there are starting to to react, uh, much the same way as we're seeing the revolution around the country. Uh, we interviewed with Star Parker, who's a black activist in Los Angeles, who's got a dynamic testimony uh, of coming to the Lord and then having her pastor challenge her to get off welfare and then just, in obedience, doing it 
cold turkey and she went out and started a business and turned out to be a pretty good marketer and had a little local newspaper. And when the Los Angeles riots took place is when her political revolution took place because here she was at home literally watching the businesses that she derived her living from and she knew other black families derived their living from burning to the ground. And in the next scene, Maxine Waters, the black leader for Los Angeles as a congresswoman, was standing there saying that these were just troubled youth and that they needed a way to express themselves. Uh, and, and that completely turned Star around. And, and what we're finding is that in these liberal bastions, by the, by the press's estimation, uh, it is conservatives that are starting to come to the forefront. And these people are rising up saying, of course we're strong in the family, and of course we're strong in the church. Uh, and I think it's a, it's a real op- opportunity for, for an American reformation. Uh, of some real proportions because it's it's only as we go back to biblical principles that we've got any real answers for these inner city problems. Well, the past weekend and until yesterday, I was in Opelousas, Louisiana. It was a marvelous trip. I thoroughly enjoyed uh, the people there, Cajuns mostly, And, of course, I met a rather select group, I would have to say. But I was impressed by the number of lawyers who are present, as well as men in politics, including one of the candidates for governor. And one of the things, Theron, and this really uh, surprised me, was how many of them were disgusted with the unwillingness of men to be Christian in their stand. And he, uh, the candidate for governor, was unabashedly a Christian. And I thought, I believe there's something happening in this country. And I realized I had been seeing this happen here and there across country in my travels, that men were making a stand not just as a conservative or as a liberal or Democrat or Republican, whatever the case might be, but were specifically Christian. I think it is an indication that the time is rapidly coming when uh, people are going to have to be counted in terms of their basic faith, their willingness to make a stand, their readiness in some instances to go to jail for the stand they make. And John, you know what I'm talking about. He's put up a lot of money. <laughs> yes. And sometime we'll have to get your story. But uh, there is a definite change underway. Tell us a little bit about your family, because I think it's interesting that uh, your father was an Air Force man and retired from the Air Force. Yes. He... Uh Initially joined the Air Force, he uh, enlisted, and through a program uh, that the Air Force had, they 
they sent him to college. He went to Arizona State to get his uh, degree in the medical uh, medical lab technician. Uh, we were stationed mainly in the Southwest, Texas, Arizona, California. Um, uh, did a lot of moving, moving around, uh, and he retired. And still, you know, when you retire from the Air Force, you're still a young. I mean, 40. He was 45 when he retired from the Air Force, so he's still uh, working. Uh, my mother is also. Uh, they all live. My, well, my whole family lives in. They're still living in Houston. Uh, my brother is a police officer in in Houston. Uh, my sister uh, sisters. One's a, a nurse, and the other one's a an interior designer, and they're all uh, down in Houston. My uh, brother and I are the only true conservatives in the family. <laughs> now. In the Sacramento area, you have a problem in that you have a great deal of bureaucracy there, state bureaucracy. It's our only growth industry in Sacramento. (laughs) (laughs) What do you have to say to the Sacramento bureaucracy? I haven't had much contact with him, so I've had, I haven't had much to say to him. Uh, mm-hmm. I'm uh, busy uh, trying to get uh, grassroots support right now. Mm-hmm. Um, the way I envision it uh, would be to uh, build my grassroots, raise my money, and then go to the bureaucracy or go to the party leadership and say, this is what I have, this is what I've you know, built. You know, do you want to support me? You know, and and basically put in a frame where it'd be nice to have you come along, but you know, we don't. I don't want to go in, in needing them to to uh, you know finance my campaign or or keep me going. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I I think was it's you know we're doing a little opposite of of where most people do. They go around and want to meet all the all the big wigs and head honchos, whereas I'm fairly content to go around and and meet the people that you know, I'm going to be representing. Uh, I'm glad to hear you say that. Uh, what is the nature of your district? Uh, we have, it's uh, as far as the breakup, uh, Republicans and Democrats, it's uh, two-thirds Democrat. Um, a lot of... Uh, low-income areas it's basically the city of Sacramento mm-hmm. so there's a lot of labor there in in town a lot of uh, as John says bureau- bureaucrats government workers but the approach that we're going to take as I said before is going to be it's going to be a Christian uh, platform uh, we're going to have to go after issues that cut across party lines and those are going to be we're going to talk uh, we're going to address education we're going to address uh, uh, jobs or employment, uh, the fact that the government uh, overregulates and overtaxes, uh, and you know, destroys the jobs, hurts the economy, and we're going to talk about uh, balancing the budget, fiscal responsibility, which is the overall. You know, to give and and all those uh, issues really address the family. Is if you take if you address those those issues and we. You know, we turn we turn those around, then that makes it a, a better uh, environment that uh, be conducive to people getting jobs, supporting their families, uh, being able to look into the future and say, 
you know, I can count on, you know, dollars still be worth, you know, being worth, you know, whatever it's worth now, 14 cents, or, but <laughs> a dollar being worth a dollar, you know, 10, 20 years down the line and not go with this, uh, uh, you know, this insane uh, uh, overspending, you know, this debt we have approaching $5 trillion, and that's what they're telling us about. Um, and the, the funny thing is how I, I came about my issues. I, I, I looked at the Communist Manifesto, which was a thing I thought would be the most anti-Christian document I could find, and I went in and picked a couple of uh, issues. I mean, uh, Marx wanted uh, government control of education, mm -hmm. which we have now. He wanted uh, a central bank, which we have now, mm -hmm. and is, uh, is, is one of the reasons we're able to f you know, have the debt that we have is because of that centralized banking. And uh, he wanted uh, government control of uh, industry, which is almost what we have now. So I, I, the way I looked at it, if we address those problems and, and started tearing down that, his ten points on his plank, and you know having a Christian response to that, then that would be a, a good starting point. What uh, is the seat currently held by a Democrat or Republican? A very liberal Democrat. Okay, then I think I know which one it is. I guess. <laughs> <I don't know. laughs> What do you anticipate to be the response of, are you running as a Republican then? Yes. I think, and yes. What do you anticipate to be the response of the party leadership? Uh, Republican, uh, Republican yes, leadership? Yes, towards your candidacy. I think it all depends on uh, what kind of uh, team I build as far as uh, setting up, getting the campaign set up. If I come in uh, with money in the bank, a lot of uh, volunteers, I think I'll get a good response. If I come in uh, not prepared, I don't expect them to, I mean, I expect them to give me a response of, I mean, showing how much work I put into it. I look at uh, a similar situation of Tim Lefevre last year. He basically went, didn't get much support from the, from the party, grassroots campaign, uh, basically did it on his own. The party came in once they realized, hey, this guy's got a chance to win, but by then it was too late. He, he needed the support early. Uh, so I'm looking at it as a similar situation. I'm also looking at the fact that Matsui has been challenged. I mean, had a credible challenge against him, what, since 78? or Yeah, so longer than I've lived in Sacramento. <laughs> so, uh, and looking at his record, uh, I can't see how... You know, like I said, coming in with a, you know, I'm going to show it as a opposite ends of the pole. I'm going to show him as a radical, far out, left wing nut, and I'm just a conservative, uh, you know, Christian candidate. And I think, and that, and as you said, I want people to, uh, you know, make a choice. It'll, it'll be a, a, a very, you know, a line drawn. It won't be uh, anything you know, gray, it'll be black and white. You've already had some interesting experiences in, in building your grassroots because of your profession. You get to uh, strap in with seat belts next to a pilot or a co-pilot for uh, extended periods of time, and you haven't been shy about sharing your political ambitions. Maybe you could share a couple of the, the fun stories of your discussions <laughs> in building support. You call that a captive audience? <laughs> <laughs> 
Well, some of the, uh, this was kind of an eye-opener for me, uh, thinking that uh, I would be flying with uh, conservatives. And I flew with uh, a captain one day whose father helped set up the NAACP in, in Alaska. And we were, in the course of the discussion, we were talking, and uh, he said, well, you're okay, you know, you're conservative, just as long as you're not one of them crazy right-wing Christian fanatics. <laughs> <laughs> what was your answer? I said, I got bad news for you. <laughs> there are on... My feeling is that the tough campaign will be the primary. But if you win there, I think it'll be a shoe-in. Because I think you will pull a great many of the people who are registered as Democrats, but that the Republicans in your district will be some thoroughly entrenched liberal figures. Or am I wrong on that, John? Uh, ironically, you're probably right. It's it's the districts where where we probably have the greatest what we call wedge issues. In other words, where it's a difference in worldviews. I, I look at much as the reformers did when they walked into a uh, a medieval city and the children were alcoholics at the age of eight and stumbling in the streets and the, and the venereal diseases were running rampant, they would write back and say, this, this town is ripe for revival. Mm -hmm. God's Spirit is about to do a great work. And I think that needs to be our vision politically. It, it is the inner cities mm -hmm. that are ripe for the Christian answers. Yes. Uh, we're the only ones that can give them hope and restore their families and restore their communities and put you know, the bars in the prisons where they belong instead of the homes. I mean, I, I live in an inner city neighborhood and I take walks and it just breaks my heart to walk by a beautifully manicured yard and home with bars yes. on the windows. Uh, and, and, and you can vision a, an elderly woman in, in just living in fear. Um, and we can break those chains. And yet it's the political establishments that would look at that and they'd say, well, gosh, Theron, this is uh, two-thirds Democrats and one-third Republican. The only way you could possibly win that, that district is act like a Democrat. Uh, so you've got to be, you got to get rid of these social issues and you have to be moderate and you have to be, you know, for all these spending programs and you've got to just continue the things that have destroyed their lives. So it's going to take this kind of boldness, and I think we're starting to see it happen around the country, yes. where where people stand up, and it'll be Christian people who stand up and say, "Hey, we've got some answers." Uh, you know, getting back to the obedience of God's word uh, is going to have an impact on individual lives, family lives, and society. Uh, so you know, that kind of boldness will not be warmly received at the uh, the Republican Federated Women's Clubs. Uh, but it certainly will get a, a warm, I think, reception when it's taken out to the neighborhoods and to the people that are, that are there. Maybe Theron could share one, one exciting aspect we're working on right now is uh, the uh, alternatives to the public schools uh, that, that are being done in some other areas that we hope to bring to Sacramento as part of this process. Yes, one of the uh, projects I'm working on right now is a... Uh, a way for the low-income families to opt out of the public school system and send their children to private schools. 
uh, it's a private voucher system. It would be a, uh, uh, a tax-exempt organization. I would take uh, private donations, and what I would do would supplement uh, low-income families, their incomes, 50% up to a, a certain dollar amount, and that would give them the option to, to let their children uh, attend a, a private school. Uh, this system is working, is running in Milwaukee, Indianapolis, yes. uh, Atlanta, uh, Los Angeles, Oakland, uh, San Antonio, and everywhere it's been started, it's 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 had a tremendous uh, reception from the from the uh, families, and that's what we need to to turn around the the uh, education system is to get the the parents involved, and if we give the parents the option. You know, I, a lot of people want to go after the public school system. I prefer in a military tactic to bypass them and hit them in the rear where they, you know, where they can't defend themselves. And that uh, attack is basically competition. If people, will, I mean, if they're superior, then people will choose the public schools. If they're not, and I don't think they will, they'll bail. You know, they'll they'll leave them in droves. And you look at in the uh, this last Sunday in the Sacramento Bee, there was an article, and this was supposedly an advanced school in the Sacramento School District, where the, the test was, it was an open book test. The test was define the following terms, communication, transportation, and transcontinental. Hmm. And they couldn't read, I mean, they, they just stared at the test. They couldn't, well, some of the students couldn't read, others, I guess you could call it marginal reading, <laughs> but uh, you had great phonetic spelling. Uh, the word "back" on two of the papers was B A K E. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's just tragic. And, and in contrast, uh, I was with uh, Senator Mountjoy's administrative assistant down near Los Angeles, and she was taken on a tour of one of the schools that had been set up. And this is a matching grant. Uh, the, the poor family still has to pay 50% of the tuition. Some of the single moms are working three jobs to get their kids into these schools, even with the grant. But uh, you can see why, because Peggy was just astounded. She said she walked in. This is South Central Los Angeles, you know, the, the watch riots. And they walked into this, part of this school, and all of the young men stood. And they stayed standing until the teacher turned to them and said, Gentlemen, you may be seated because Peggy, as a woman, had walked into the room. So that's, that's a stark contrast to the public schools that you know have medical metal detectors and things to keep the guns and riots yeah. and shootings. Well, what you had to say about industry now providing scholarships for Christian school students is so very true, although very few people know about it. And it's because they are realizing that a very high percentage of all parents want their children in Christian schools. I was at uh, two graduations when I was in Opelousas, Louisiana. Uh, the 8th grade and the 12th uh, grade. And these were at the Westminster Christian Academy whose uh, registration for next September is already 1,100. So 
they are successful schools. And uh, I was very much interested during the graduations to be told by uh, those who were seated next to me on the platform, the pr uh, principal or someone else, whoever was next to me, the stories of some of the students, the families they came from. There was one boy, I believe an eighth grader, who won one of the uh, awards, a fine-looking young boy, who had been found three, four years earlier living in an abandoned bus and had been living there for some time. And the doctor who uh, was involved found a home for him. He is highly successful. He will no doubt end up at a university when he finishes high school. There were 37 or 38 from the high school graduating. And these students, and I was told some of them came from extremely modest uh, families. They were These were black and white students. Every last one of them was headed for a college or a university. And a number of them had scholarships, a surprisingly high number. Well, you can see why businesses are financing such students. They are recognizing that the future of the country rests with these. It was really a marvelous experience to see the caliber of those students and of the future they are making for themselves. Some of them, I was told, came from extremely poor families. Well, you have a case of uh, California business going out of California to find people qualified mm -hmm. for jobs that are available here. Uh, yes. We have, I mean, estimates on what industry spends to re-educate its employees is somewhere between two and six billion dollars a year. Yes. It's incredible. I mean, and, and it, for them, it's, an, it's a smarter investment to invest in the student while they're in school yes. so they become a, they'll be a productive employee as soon as they get on the job as opposed to taking them out of school, I mean, taking them out of the business, re you know, teaching them again so that they can be productive. Well, the military is doing the same thing, re-educating the recruits, because what they found was that uh, functional illiterate could, in a matter of minutes, destroy millions in equipment simply because he could not read properly. So they test them and they retrain them, re-educate them. I, I think it's very good that you're promoting this, and certainly there are the industries just in your area that could subsidize any number of such families.
Baron, you're not a protest candidate. You expect to win. Um, every good candidate has a strategy for winning. What's yours? <laughs> Get more votes than his opponent. <laughs> That's the way to do it. <laughs> well, a strategy, as I said before, is a we need issues that are going to cut across party lines. And for you, those are? Those are uh, the education issue, which I think is going to be huge in this coming election. Uh, the the public schools in Sacramento are at, at a point of meltdown. They're having riots. Uh, so the article they had in the paper on Sunday, the kids came and read. Uh, and the education department is having a very hard time covering covering up that fact. Um, like I said, a lot of the people we have in the district are low income, uh, looking for jobs. Uh, the the thing we're going to need to do is it's really going to be an education. We're going to have to educate people. We're going to have to let them realize or teach them what the role of government is. It's not to uh, redistribute wealth. It's to provide an environment so that people can provide for themselves. Um, that'll be a big part of it. And as you know, I, I, I was thinking about this, but as I met when I met you at church, this gave me the last kick I need to get me started. I've I've started going through the the Federalist Papers again. Those were very wise men. Yeah, you noticed that, didn't you? Yeah. <laughs> a, lot of, a lot of interesting stuff in there. Um, the Constitution, uh, just uh, going over the uh, founding documents, and I'm going to let uh, Matsui's. I can't say that. <laughs> my opponent. There you go. <laughs> I'm going to let his uh, his record defeat him. Uh, I. But you'll have a decided advantage because I'm sure he's never read the Constitution. Well, and I'm going to and I'm going to bring that up as as often as I can. Um, to let him, uh, you know, I like I said, I will come out. My platform is basically pro-family, and the government needs to be in, in a uh, providing, like I said, an atmosphere or an environment where the family uh, can survive. And, and I will show how his record, my opponent's record, uh, is anti-family. I mean, to send for him to vote. For to keep increasing the debt ceiling, yeah, that's destroying our, our future. To uh, vote to send the money to China we, for for uh, as they call it population control, we call it course course of abortions. Yes. Or he knows that that is uh, you know, that is taking place, and I'm going to ask the simple question: How is that pro-family? And I'm going to let the you know, so a process of education, but also a process of letting the voters see this man for what he really is, and what I have to offer as you know my Christian response to him, and to show what a true conservative, uh, not a conservative who is just you know think, saying the the you know filling the square, saying we're going to cut taxes, mm -hmm. you know we want to you know reform welfare and. The joke goes, what's the difference between a, a conservative and a liberal? It was about 20 years. Right. Um, I don't want to, uh, like I said, I basically want to redefine or, or, or have a, 
a new type of conservatism, as we call it. I mean, a a true conservative is a Christian, yes. and that's and that's that's what I want to to bring out in the uh, in the uh, election. Interestingly, about all the last three decades, the black political leadership in this country, as you know, Theron, by and large, has been liberal. How do you think that? those whose ideology is much like Jesse Jackson are going to respond to a dynamic, intelligent, uh, young black conservative like you. Although, as you know, there are others, but... Uh, uh, very poorly. Theron had that experience. We were at the uh, Republican convention a few months ago, and they had a, uh, a, uh, a black caucus on the uh, affirmative action issue, which Theron was anxious to get to, but you were sort of surprised when you arrived, weren't you? Yes, if I didn't know that I was at the Republican convention, I thought I was at the Democratic convention from what I, from the response I heard. I mean, there's, um, the, the response that needs to be given, and, and, I, and I think the only, that, that I'm capable of doing it because they, there's certain uh, tactics they can't use against me. Yes. Uh, example, when John was at a uh, affirmative action debate, when he started making headway, he just the the uh, the person in the audience just said, "You're white. Yeah. You can understand racism." Yeah. And you know, and, and basically retreat into that. Well, he can't do that with me. Right. And the answer is, you know, like I said, I will admit to to the to the people that yes, there are problems. But having handouts is not the solution. Yeah. The solution is, and it goes back to some of the things I'm running on, education, uh, uh, entrepreneurship, uh, getting the regulations out of people's way so that they can provide for themselves. And then the last that they're really not going to like is hard work. I mean, you're going to have to set up a system, and it's not going to happen overnight. It's going to take work to do it. Um, the system now... And and, what's, and it's a funny it's funny to me and I ask people this I said why you, you admit that affirmative action is not working so why are you fighting for it? Well, and, and what you say the, the alternative often is is not well received because it's hard work. Uh, when you became a United Airlines pilot, did you find a, a full quota of black pilots? No. <laughs> and uh, that's an avenue that that any ambitious black young man could enlist in the military and uh, go the course that you right. have and, and find himself in a good position. Right. I've had people uh, attack me in that way saying that, that you wouldn't be where you're at unless you know, if it wasn't for affirmative action. And I answer, well, maybe it got me in the door, mm-hmm. but it didn't keep me there. Yeah. It didn't keep me uh, at the academy. I asked them, I said, you know, did affirmative action stay up all night with me and write a 30-page pay- term paper? Right. Did affirmative action uh, climb into the jet with me when I had to fly my solo flight? Yeah. You know, did it get was affirmative action there? You know, when I when I uh, did my sim- simulator evaluation when they were blowing up engines on me and saying you know fly this airplane back and land it? No, I I answered that I in high school prepared myself. Yeah. I took the calculus, and the trigonometry, and the geometry, and the physics, and everything necessary. So maybe. That slot was there because of affirmative action, but I could take advantage of it, so I would have succeeded anyway. But it's because of affirmative action that you were forced to answer those questions. That's the difficulty, isn't it? Right. And yes, it, and, that's, and that's another problem you have where there's a stigma 
Exactly. So, so it harms the people often. It, that it, harm, it, harms, it harms the people. It also puts people in a position that are not prepared to take advantage of the situation. Uh, it doesn't do. It doesn't do the uh, the uh, the black any good if he is uh, going in for an interview. If he's a product, especially a product of the public schools, if he can't read and write. Yeah. You know, I may have five slots open for black nuclear physicists, but if they can't read and write, they're not going to get the job. Yeah. Whereas, uh, if if there's someone who's prepared, you know, all you're doing is you're making it. If anything, you you're giving me a, another boost that I don't need. Yeah. And you're hurting, you know, a lot of other people. I mean, there's a lot of uh, poor white. That are, that, are, that are trying to make it. I mean, it's poor across the board. If these people truly want a level playing field, then that's what we that's what we should have. You know, make it an opportunity for everyone, not you know, well, we're only going to you know help out this group or this group. And then that's another funny uh, aspect of affirmative action, considering 70% of the people in this country are eligible for preferential yeah. treatment. Yeah. You know, it doesn't. It, there's so many contradictions in it that. You know, if they do an internal critique of the system, I just ask them, how can you how can you continue to support this? You, know, yeah. you may not like my solution. If you don't, come up with something better. Yeah. I mean, we we know what's required to succeed. You, know, you need you need to be educated. You need to have skills, and you need to you know when you have the opportunity, you need to take advantage of it. And nobody's going to pick you up and carry you. You know, and, and you know, and spoon feeds you basically. I mean, you're gonna have to have some initiative on your own. You have to work hard. Baron, what can the Christian community do to assist you in your campaign? Prayer, first of all. Um, I uh, the support I need. I need. Uh, you know, I'm looking for, and that, and that was those were the people I initially went to were were, were the Christian community. Because I, I told them if I can't get Christians to support me, I'm not going to get anybody to support me. Yeah. Um, I, like I said, right now I'm, I'm trying to get uh, volunteers for my grassroots support. And hopefully that will uh, get my name out and let them know, you know what my platform is, what my stances are on, on the issues. And you know, get people talking. And... Um, as I recall, you had a sort of an ingenious uh, financial plan. Rather than having huge donors with huge amounts, you just wanted to get a number of people to support you at a, a relatively small amount every month. Is right. This a, is a, a new system we're trying. Uh, it's we get people to commit to to contribute to me on a monthly basis. A uh, a small amount, eleven dollars, is the way it's set up now for a year, and. Uh, that helps getting the grassroots going. It helps with me uh, going out, uh, letting people know what I, what my issues are that I'm running on, why I'm running, and it gives me the opportunity to uh, just to get out, you know, and, and verbalize. And, and everybody's going to ask different questions. Uh, for instance, I had someone ask me a question the other day. You know, said, "Well, what you're talking about, you know, is going to is going to tear down a lot of." Uh, Industries that have been built up because of this, and you know, it's gonna it's gonna hurt a lot of people. They're gonna be out of work, and I said that's true. <laughs> I'm not gonna lie to you, but if we have a system, and I answered them by, you know, by telling them if we have a system 
that is built on a corrupt foundation that you know yes there's people that have vested interest in that system but if the system's wrong it needs to be corrected and we need to build it on a better foundation and if we have people that really are uh, are good businessmen they really are motivated they're not going to have any problems uh, finding or work or starting over again an example I use was uh, affirmative action think of the all the businesses the consultants the these people are in business and they they want discrimination to exist because that keeps them in business yeah and if we get rid of that yes a lot of people are going to be out of business but I'd say the countries are better for it and the other industries will, will, will spring up another example would be the buggy whip industry I mean, the cars came along, and the buggy whip industry went you know, went out of business. But yeah. look what took its place. Right. John, are you helping Theron? Uh, He's going to be my congressman. I've got to help him. <laughs> Good. <laughs> Have you set up a committee that people can send their contributions to? Well, actually, uh, Theron is still in the uh, development stage on that. This this is a new approach that we're taking in terms of grassroots. Uh, you know, positioning. Uh, I don't know if it's appropriate to give a telephone number. If anybody wants to contact us, we can certainly let them know what the progress is and and do that. Uh, All right. Why don't you give an ad address and telephone number okay. both so yes. they can mail, uh, if they want to, uh, a gift? Sure. Because I know I'd like to. It's uh, The address is 4246 2nd Avenue in Sacramento. And it's nine five eight one seven. Nine five eight one seven. Whom do we address there? Uh, you can just address it to Theron Johnson. All right. And uh, check should be to uh, Vanguard Advantage. What? Vanguard. If they're going to send a check, it should be made out to Vanguard Advantage, which is a Vanguard trust Advantage. Advantage. Right. Bob has asked us to spell Theron's name, so... Uh, T-H-E-R-O-N. That's an old name. I uh, hadn't heard it until you came into our lives, Theron. But when I was growing up, it was uh, fairly common. That's... I don't know the origin, but I suspect it's an old English name. Well, our prayer is that it becomes very prominent once again. <laughs> <laughs> Any last comments you'd like to make, Theron, before we finish? We have just about four minutes left, three to four. I'll just finish briefly on, on basically the note I started on the the only way for these evil men to succeed is for Christians to stand by and do nothing. Paul, any last comment you'd like to make? I'm just really impressed with the freshness and the vitality that Theron has for this task ahead of him. And uh, I wish you the best of luck. I mean, we need people like you to go in and represent us. Mark? I'm just, I'm just excited that... that, that I wish I was in your district to, to, to vote for you. Well, you can drive on down and watch some precincts for me. <laughs> <laughs> we could do that. 
Andrew? I, I want to say something quickly. Um, it is largely because of the writings and influence of Rousseau's John Rashtuni yes. that men like Theron are doing what they're doing. And there's a remarkable revival across the country of the Christian interest in politics. And uh, from a human standpoint, we know it's because of God's sovereignty in his word, but from a human standpoint, we have to thank, to a huge degree, the writings of, of Rush. And I mean that very honestly from the depths of my heart. And it is a, a broad spectrum of, of things happening from uh, what would by anybody's standard be an uphill challenge in, a, in an area that is, is new uh, when taking on these urban districts, but uh, in safe Republican districts where we know a lot of establishment money, uh, we're supporting a fellow down in Southern California, George Runner, for the uh, State Assembly, who's principal of the largest Christian school in Lancaster, California. Uh, and he is going to be in another two months the, the hands-on favorite for that race in 1996 with Very hundreds good. of Christian volunteers and a, a bold witness. Matter of fact, one of the headlines in the local paper was Christian candidates may split the vote wow. uh, because there's two of them running. But, uh, you know, it's, it, it is a, a real Reformation American style going yes. on as, as people reassert biblical values and, and become serious about taking back our nation. Well, thank you all, and Theron, thank you for coming up here. Thank you for having me. It's been a pleasure. Good night, and God bless you all.